I remember going in and seeing Trevor Brennan, you know, the first um, team room I went into, I just had a, like a bag open and he was just taking a load of LucasAid sports and putting them into his bag. I was like, is he, is he stealing these? <laughs> like, what's happening then? And then someone saw me looking at that and I was like, oh, no, 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 like, you're allowed to take all that stuff off to your room if you want. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, what free? <laughs> the LucasAid sport, this is deadly. <laughs> Joe presents House of Rugby. Together with Bank of Ireland, proud supporter of the four Irish provinces. Hello and welcome back to House of Rugby together with Bank of Ireland. I'm Greg O'Shea and as always I'm joined by the lovely Lindsay Pete. but she's brought an old partner of crime with her today. Yes. Anna Capeless. Yes. Very welcome to the studio. How are you doing? Great, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Doesn't she look pretty in her pink? She Thanks does. very much. Yeah, she looks like a brunch ice. ice, ice. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> but that's the summer favourite. That's what I was going for. Yeah, I kind of thought it might be a bit... Well, to be fair, the sun is out, but yeah. it's still freezing. Apparently there's a snowstorm on the way. There is, yeah. Listen, Ireland is like my humours. It's, it's sunny, it's snowing. It's just, you never know what to expect. I know, you're 100% right. Now, how do you two know each other? Obviously, just from the rugby background. Yeah. Yeah, we... Uh, around the time... Well, the late anyone who, who might have heard this week, we had a sad passing of a, the rugby family, Tom Tierney. Um, very sad. So, huge condolences and support to all his family and friends. And it was a, it was a week where the rugby family came together. And probably myself and Anne were over and back in voice notes. And it was Tom Tierney who gave both of us our first cap mm-hmm. and our opportunity when he took over the women's team. And he was kind of blooding and like deepening the squad for the 2017 World Cup. So yeah. I got mine in 2015. I think you were early 2016. 2016, weren't you? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how we met. And I've been privileged to play with her, but she's also an absolute pain in the arse when you play <laughs> against her. So, and oh, most... Thanks so much. You're welcome. <laughs> You're Same welcome. to you. Yeah. Uh, and we played together in Barbarians in Twickenham and we set yes. new records with that. So I'm sure we'll go into that in our chats. But, uh, Absolutely, yeah. We've been through it all, really. We've we've had an emotional rollercoaster, to say the least, haven't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. We yeah. found out as well that we have, like, our oh, families yeah. live really close to each other in Cork, like which we didn't discover for a couple of years. Yeah, only recently, probably in the last two years, isn't it? Yeah, but very obscure, like out in the countryside, yeah. like but two houses right next to each other where my dad grew up. And then yeah, Kildare. Yeah. Uh, my dad's sister's husband, Bob Conlon. Bob, you're getting a shout out. One and only you Cork are. man, you. Um, <laughs> and he is married to my auntie and they are neighbours of Anna's family in Kildare. Brilliant, you're well connected, so lads. We are, yeah. Stuff. I mean, Anna know each other from... Back in the day, she was the head coach of the Junior Cup team, Crescent College. And she I, coached you? She, oh no, I was assistant coach. Jesus, <laughs> Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. And I was head coach, I was assistant coach for a year in Junior Cup. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was that now? It's a good five years ago. I'd that say. was ju- 2017 because it was just after the World Cup. The World Cup. Yeah. yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, you had a lot going on then. You were playing internationally, yeah. teaching and coaching at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it was yeah busy year. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Lenny, we'll delve into your career now at the second part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, and coming up later, our very own Pat had a chat with Brian O'Driscoll, which is a very good one in the build-up to Scotland versus Ireland coming up this weekend. So that's going to be a good one to listen to. How excited are we for that? I know, I can't wait for it. It's going to like, be Like, I feel one. like I'm getting ready for that game. <laughs> that's how excited no, I feel today. I'm like, game week. You know, but you know, the I, I talk about this all the time, but like the lone piper on top of Murrayfield Stadium when she starts to play like Flower Scotland, yeah. when she's done, and then it 
the the pipes cut out and it goes a cappella. It's I unbelievable. Can't yeah. Wait. I love it so much. I yeah. can't wait for it. Yeah. It's I love that time, but I'm just like this could be the bana- banana skin. We've two potentials, but yeah. I feel like Do you Ireland. Nah, I think we will win, but um like if anything, Finn Russell's kind of he's he's that sadistic nature, hasn't he? He just will turn it on when he needs to and I, I know. just feel Scotland are going well. I think they're unlucky against France, to be honest. I would have liked if they had beaten France and this was a Grand Slam showdown this weekend I would have loved that yeah. I think that would have been what we needed this yeah. weekend but yeah. it'll still be yeah you, you could be right girls you're going to have to hold your horses you're getting too far ahead in the show now sorry, we're going to talk sorry, about sorry, Scotland sorry. and Ireland sorry I know I feel like we're going to the pub crawl and we left because your friend's back together talking about old times <laughs> come on sweetheart we'll come there. back in come on sorry <laughs> so let's bring it back to what we're all here for initially the URC and my yes. very own monster oh, okay. and Anna's very own monster yeah, outnumbered. Outnumbered, yeah. In. I know, but you still wouldn't beat Lance Stephen if the two years just played me. <laughs> well, we'll see. There was plenty of time left in the season. I'm going to clip that and play a black deal when we beat you in the European it Cup and final. and me play it. Because I'm going to be rubbing my hands. Um, but uh, once we were playing in Anna's very own Cork, and they won 49-42 against Scarlets. No one was tackling. It was 13 tries. It was an unbelievable game. Munster nearly lost at the end, though. There was a chance that Scarlets could have came back and won it, but it was... Uh, Good enough performance, wasn't it, Anna, across the board? Yeah. Um, it, but it, it, it was that, like, I suppose the players, like, at half time, you know, you need to try something new. They're ahead by so much. And then they just kind of re- relaxed into it a bit. And like you say, they didn't want to tackle at all. They're like, ah, I've done enough tackling for now. But it's great, like, when it serves up a big tri-fest like that. And when you come out on top, it's like, OK, we'll, we'll take the win. But it was so great to see... Um, RG Snyman coming back in the pitch and everyone was so happy for him and all the players were just smiling and hugging him and that was really great for him to get back out there it's been a long old yeah, road for him I think he's been out for 17 months mm. two cruciates or something Yeah. so he yeah. won the World Cup at South Africa and came to Munster and he just played only like a couple of minutes I read a funny tweet though everyone or sorry someone had tweeted like everyone was obviously celebrating him come back someone was like typical Munster now have rehabbed RG Snyman just in time for the World Cup. <laughs> he could be breaking Irish hearts like down the line or like he could be, you know, a key yeah. for them. Like, thanks Munster for rehabbing him just in time for the World Cup. I was laughing. It's so true. Like, And he could have easily gone back to South Africa to his family yeah. and rehabbed because he was so badly injured. But he stayed in Munster, yeah. stayed in Limerick. By all accounts, he actually loves Munster and, and he loves uh, living up here. So, uh, Good to see him back. It'd yeah. be great for Munster as well going into the second half of the season. Yeah. He's obviously going to take a while to get back together as a mm. top second row in the world. But, we like having him in our team, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Lindsay, how did you what, did you watch uh, the Munster game? What did you make of it? I did, of course. Aren't they my my next favourite team? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, do you know what? I'm so impressed with them. Like some of their offloads. Um, like Calvin Ash, we spoke about him during the summer when he went on to New Zealand tour. And how good has he been? Incredible. Like um, his draw and give. So it went from Carby to him, Drew in to uh, Scarlet Defenders. And he just nice little offload to, to Shane Daly. Um his his sec- trying the second half again. It was uh, I think it was Jack Crowley found space to Shane Daly and Shane Daly got Calvin Nash back and you could just see the confidence. Yeah, even his own try sniping in around Paddy Patterson. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. It was fantastic. Paddy Patterson absolutely sold that try. It was brilliant because mm. I loved the the forwards didn't get credit for the kind of dummy that they sold. Patterson looking at them and then just the inside pass Calvin Nash. So yeah. I just think the variation of their try. The only thing I would say, listen, it's great to have a try fest, but I'm kind of thinking bigger picture freeze. Like you have Champions Cup coming up, like third to lose the second half, thirty five fourteen, is not really good enough in my opinion. If you want to go on, and I am being hard news because I want you to really <laughs> give us a challenge, but that's where I see. It. I think there's some really good expansive 
exciting rugby like Frisch's offload was unbelievable I think Fekitoa for me to let him go now after a season and now that like Chris Farron doesn't come back I'm not sure it's going to come back and bite us unless there's some big Bundyaki deal coming down the line which has been spoken about for seasons upon seasons German coming up from New Zealand Alex Nankavelli he is but I just feel like you have such depth in squad like if Crowley now is Crowley going to be that you know backup centre for you or where is it going to look I just think a deep squad if he's really going to build on this season mm. is going to be key and I think what harm would have been another season for, for Fekitoa for competition for depth if he's like Schneidman's uh, Schneidman is back after <laughs> Schneidman <laughs> Schneidman from, from Carlow boy <laughs> Snydman, I'm sorry, I was trying to get so many words out there. It's like, where do I go here? But like, say, like he was a big sign, and put 17 months out with an injury. That's how rugby works, you know. If it's an injury, it's never like a small little injury, like give a bit of a bruise, like you know. So, I just think um, they're just playing such good rugby. I just thought there was game management could have come in a little bit into play for me yeah. for going forward yeah the wheels came off the wagon a bit I think as Anna said they must have just relaxed too much into mm. it and Scarlet's are a decent outfit so they just picked the holes they got their choice it'll still be a big Monday morning review in Munster trying Definitely. to analyse the 42 points they let in and as you said Lindsay that's not going to um, do well in the European challenge no because there'll be better teams who will finish them yeah, off yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly um, you mentioned there Chris Farrell heading away which is a big loss for Munster I'm not sure where he's going it's another rugby opportunity is what was put out in social media yeah. um, he's been through a lot so I hope he's doing alright and wherever he's going we wish him the best of luck it's a big loss for Munster and as you said Fekitoa is heading away as well but um, Munster are doing okay we have Snyman back so we're happy enough of where we are Snyman <laughs> uh, from Carlo <laughs> <laughs> and uh, talk about Lindsay's Leinster they were away to Edinburgh Yes. And they ended up winning 47-27 with their, what I would say, their second string team. And they were just incredible again. They started slow, though. Started Jesus Christ, slow. Edinburgh, Edinburgh came out. Tries. Yeah, they came out punching. Yeah, and I was like, finally, Leinster are going to get a put, stuck to them. And then they just came out and scored a ridiculous amount of tries again. Yeah, I think at half time it was like 21-20, oh no, 21-15. So it was very, very close. It was like nip and tuck was like two heavyweights. And the absolute speed of the game and the physicality of it and... Um, yeah, like Michael Milner got two two tries, Scott Penny got two tries. I think, you know, there's mm. a lot of arguments about his inclusion into Ireland. But I mean, I think since the turn of the season, his stats are off the chart. 114 tackles, 74 carries, 422 metres game. This was all before the Edinburgh game, two tries and he got two yeah. on the night. So for me, I think Scott Penny gives both sides the ball. I think he knows the systems. And mm. then look at his try with it was like a ping pong machine, wasn't it, for the... Like those tap and goes, myself and Adam there, we were like, you tap and you're just waiting on this like wave of defensive like pressure to absolutely break into. Whereas Lens just kept moving the ball into that soft shoulders. And it's nice to see that adaptation around the five meter line. I, I said it just it. gone. Yeah, it's nice. It's literally hook it to my veins. Like every <laughs> team is doing it. Like yeah. just a, I love it so much. I'm kind of annoyed Envious. that, yeah, we're not a bit younger, Lindsay. <laughs> ah, we can still try. I'll come over to Spain. We'll play a bit of tennis. Yeah, yeah, come over and play with me in Spain. Um, yeah, it's so intelligent those tries, isn't it? They're really doing their homework. It's incredible yeah. to see. Yeah, um, it's so hard to defend as well. And every time you use a different move, it gets even harder to defend. So it's just that's what yeah. the commentator said. He was like, "Oh yeah, you, you know, oh no, I think it was Mike. What I was watching on was, be, I think it was anyway. Mike, Mike McCarthy was there." Uh, Commentator was obviously Lex, ex Connacht Ireland and and uh, Leinster, and he said, uh, "Oh, you do your review, you know the opposition, and you think, oh yeah, no, we have this, you know, tap and go covered, and then there's like an extra little." 
twist on it and it's an easy try and I think it's just easy money in the bank um, but even positional changes we saw Frawley back but he's there back at full back I think mm. Jordan Armour to be honest his endeavour and his enthusiasm to try and just get back in an Ireland jersey but he's still not a patch I don't think on some of the performances we're seeing in Ireland jerseys at the moment which is so unfortunate because he's still such a skillful player mm. Um who has Jamie Osborne with his crossfield kick. We're seeing just different variations in his game every week. So I just think 19 from 19, lots of players being blooded. I think it's his testament to, again, to Leinster. And I know I'm biased, but I just think to go away to Edinburgh, who are very good. Like Hamish Watson was in that team. I mean, there's no, they're yeah. not, you know, there's so many experienced internationals in that Edinburgh team. It's not like you're going to play one of the Welsh teams without being offensive, who, you know, we're not even seeing the top half of the table. So I think to... You know, and even, yeah, there's just so many players who are trying to put up their hands and putting in good performances and not even getting near an, an orange setup. So it's saying a lot for Irish rugby yeah, at the moment. Well, and you played in the back row, and how amazing it to see the likes of Max Stegan and Scott Penny like playing at the top of their game and they are nowhere near really an Irish squad. I know Scott Penny got called into train, but like yeah. he's not going to be starting an Irish team anytime soon. No. It just shows the depth and unbelievable uh, level of ability in the back row in Leinster. The, yeah, but the. Just the way that the the ceiling or whatever we want to call it, it just keeps being pushed up. They're challenging each other so much because they're all so good that if you're off the mark, you're going to fall down the pecking order really quickly. So like just to be playing so well, but constantly pushing to get better. Like I wonder what, just a, a perfect like coach's dream nightmare to have like so much like fiery competition like to give them feedback, okay, I need you to do this, or I need this is what we need to work on, or this is how you're going to improve, because those, you know, those players are like, okay, what do we need to do next? Yeah. What do we need to do next? And they're, it's, oh, it's brilliant. Like sparks are flying. Like if you think about it, like the Irish guys are Van der Fleer, Conan, Doris, and then you forget about those guys. And then on the weekend for Leinster, you had Will Connors playing, who's an Irish international. Mm -hmm. You had Scott Benny, who's in the Irish squad training. Mm -hmm. You had Max Deegan, who's Irish capped. Mm -hmm. You have Ryan Bard, who's around there as well. It's like, that's seven international quality back rows just mm -hmm. sticking around Leinster. Then I'm like, are, are these guys nearly going to waste? Like, should we like spread out the love a little yeah. bit? We'll no. take a few of them, <laughs> put over to Connacht, put over to Ulster. Yeah. I was actually having uh, dinner with my sister on the weekend and she wouldn't as be as... Uh, rugby knowledgeable as, as you two ladies but she said something like why don't the RFU do like a draft and like put the best players in like the worst provinces and stuff and I was like do you know what that's actually not a bad yeah. idea because yeah. they're it all just be sitting good. in Leinster and I think there's one thing from the States we would take like it's bamboozle and anyone who doesn't understand the draft pick is, it is basically to share the wealth that you kind of get your opportunity to get that top pick uh, they do it with college and American mm. football whatever else and it, it kind of works because then we're not seeing it but then you're kind of taken away from the hard graft and the, the you know from those foundations like there's a lot we don't see yeah. in in the domestic in the schools in the rugby tots so it's we don't want to take away the culture and, and what we know as Irish sport as well whether we're talking about rugby or GA that those grassroots to see that the fruition of a player come yeah. from grassroots to the top is but there's there's been yeah chat around this though like w would you do something like that but players don't want to leave Leinster mm. And I could see it working for leave. the girls, you know, I could, you know, with the contracts, mm. if we were going to have contracts, I would have rather possibly look at having the contracts back to the provinces and the clubs to spread the love instead of having then everyone gravitate towards Dublin. Yeah. Um, whether that be for training or for lifestyle, if we could, you know, try and link them either to a university with some players so they get a scholarship there yeah. or actually physically contract them to clubs that, you know, and yeah. that will, you know, deepen the... 
experience in the club and what players they have there and, and actually attract new players because there's big signings there, do you know? Yeah. But for the men's, I think we're too established now. They do it sometimes, mm. positionally. You know, they move players around positionally. But, like, you know, when you, when you look at Scott Penny getting called in with so little game time... And then there's, you know, back rows down in Munster that are also playing out of their skin. Yeah, like Jack well, Gavin Coombs, we can't understand really, can we? Yeah. How he's not really getting a chance yeah. He's playing, like, to me, he can't do anything no. more. Like, mm-hmm. he's playing incredibly. And Jack O'Donoghue, who's been playing non- week, non-stop, week in, week out, top of his game, Nick Timoney up in Ulster. There's just so many lads around the place. So I suppose you are right, Anna. Or if you do it a little bit, but I'm just thinking... The, all these best players are just coming out of Leinster private schools and mm-hmm. going into the Leinster squad and they're just they're get, it's getting to a point now where you just, they just can't be beaten like they're yeah. just way too good yeah. and like just all the best players are in Leinster and like spread the love a little yeah. bit or if you were still going to get them all playing for them if they want yeah. um, but you see like Connacht just kind of falling off the pace a little bit yeah. Ulster are doing alright but um, I just think there's too many good l- lads sitting in there and it comes down to the backs as well like you have like Rob Russell you have Cosgrove you have all these guys coming out just Turner as well Turner yeah, all, yeah. that are just top level players like. yeah. um, and why are they going down to New Zealand to get this Alex guy up um, when they have like just take one of those Irish lads and put him into yeah. Munster yeah. do you know what I mean and that's probably Munster lads this now are going to be annoyed because there's the likes of Rory Scanlon and Dan Goggin and all those guys that could play as well but yeah. um, I just think it's a, it's just too much Leinster power now that I'm like I can't even see them being beaten at any stage this, this yeah. year what do you think Lindsay? No, I think I can't see them really in the URC anyway. Uh, Champions Cup was a, a kind of different different ball game. You know, you're kind of extending out there to to a lot of top class European teams who have a lot of money to match what Leinster have through their academy and everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do see your point. I think the only thing I will say is that there's a system at work and we spoke about this probably at the start of the podcast that we need to now. Munster have found something which is brilliant. Mm. Um, now we need to build on that and I think Tom was obviously the academy coach who, who you know, the lads carried his coffin and stuff like that. And he's, you know, in there and, you know, Dennis Leamy is there and we have Munster men back really blooding that. And I think now there's something here and momentum. You just really need to build that and now maybe look at these like academy hubs within Munster rather than I know you don't have the private skill set up, but something yeah. has to work for Munster there. And I think you definitely got you guys have definitely something there to mm. rebuild the legacy that Munster rugby is. Um I don't know what we're going to do in Connacht and Leinster or Connacht, excuse me, Ulster and Connacht because um, it's disappointing with, you know, Ulster, have, you know, they have a similar skill system. You know, there shouldn't be an yeah. excuse yeah. excuse there. Connacht definitely need a little bit of help in hand because I think historically just the geographical area they're working out is yeah. so diluted with GA and everything else. Yeah, so. yeah well, in fairness, yeah. Ulster are third in the URC table. They're doing okay. Um, but I just think Anna you worked in the school system for wild coaching mm. like it's just you can't even compete with the Leinster private school system can no. you when it comes to rugby no it's just you're kind of going in to those games and those young guys are you know driving up to the kids like driving up to Dublin on a Saturday and cricket <coughs> scores and they're looking at well you know like when we were coaching there like it was a big commitment like we there was lots of sessions, they were doing gym, and this is Junior Cup, so, do you know, it's starting to kind of feel like a professional programme. And then they go up to Dublin and, like, they're just, like, streets ahead yeah. and the, the 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 size of the players even, you can see the difference. So it's there and it's kind of ready to be kind of pushed a little bit more, but it, it needs investment, it needs more money and more, like, full-time coaches. And, yeah. do you know, like, sure, we were... 
doing that that year like on, on the side of everything else we were doing it's like big yeah. big sacrifice from the coaches as well and it's it's there like there's great schools like the Munster the Munster schools competition is brilliant and I'm so happy to see a girls competition now following suit it's what we need like it's what we needed so if mm. it's there it's kind of like just ready to be like pumped up a small bit in, in Munster to catch up to what they have in Leinster. Yeah, and it's not taking anything away from Leinster or being spiteful. They've just built the system, like, you know, mm. over years. I remember going up when I was only a nipper, like 14, 15, yeah. up to Clongos to play them. And it's like driving into, like, this multi-million dollar estate. And I'm like, mm. there's no way we can p- compete with these lads. And we just about did hanging in there. Yeah. But um, it's also the pool of players coming out of all these... Like Dublin's obviously the most populated county in Ireland, like yeah. so all the all the people are going to be based here, so that's why they have a bigger pool to play from. Yeah. They have more money, they have more players, but I just think um, a bit more love and care given to the, the Connacht's and the Munsters mm. and move these guys around a little bit. Yeah. Um, we could end up talking about this for 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 ages, but um, I just it's getting to a point now where Leinster are just unbeatable. Like the only one that can yeah. maybe catch them is La Rochelle. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. And it is, I do get it as a, as a competition and, and as, you know, we don't want to lose supporters either, do you know, because you mm. can sometimes look at the schedule of games and you're kind of like, you know, even as a Leinster fan, you're like, okay, what's the game like? Or if it doesn't interrupt or clash or anything else, of course you'll watch it. You're, you're not, I'm not a fair weather supporter, but I suppose you, you'd be as good watching the highlights because you know what you're going to get. Does that make sense? So you mm-hmm. just want to, I suppose, more, want more co- competition in the URC and that's across the board. Like we've obviously spoken about the, the sham that is um, Welsh rugby at the moment and hopefully they're going to get their act together. And But it is nice to see the likes of Edinburgh and they could have beaten us. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? They just, the firepower and the depth of the squad and the lads just knowing exactly what they need to do at the right time and they just stick to the process is yeah. is phenomenal to watch. But I think it'd be nice to see, as I said, the likes of Connacht and we'll go into their, their game now. Yeah, well, that's um, what we're going to do now. Yeah, so as you mentioned there, you mentioned the Welsh Rugby Union. Um, for some reason, Dragons are still holding it together somewhat. They yeah. were at home. Connacht went over and beat them 22-20. But Dragons put in a good performance, but it's a good win for Connacht um, to get away to get away over there. And, and they had a good good couple of tries. They uh, fought fought hard against the Dragons, who were up, up for the fight, which I was surprised with everything that's going on in Wales at the moment. But... Um, they could have won that at the end. Uh, Davies, uh, the I think see the Ohaf or the fullback. He he could have. Um, he had a penalty. They got a turnover uh, in Connacht's half. Connacht were trying to play out of their their twenty two, and uh, Dragons got a turnover, and they they kicked, and they, they could have won at twenty three twenty two, and it just went to the, the to the left and wide, and it kind of just I felt actually at that moment I was like that just epitomises well rugby at the moment, you know, so cla- working the players themselves working so hard to make things right, it just <laughs> went return. just to the left. Yeah, do you know? But actually, they they scored some sublime tries, like um, the offloads to their wingers. Like they scored some good tries, and I think Connacht really were blessed to get out. But it was funny because Jared Butler came off the bench and he scored within two minutes um, off Mall. I think Dragons' discipline was poor. Um, and Brendan got a nice try. He got a lovely try. He, he had a nice break and he turned well. Um, he was looking for an offload and then realised he was actually over the line. Just put it down. <laughs> um, and Dave Heffernan again, another guy who came from from Leinster who's settled very well in Connacht he came off the bench and scored a all try so again they had nice variations of tries um, but I think again just you know it was 10 apiece at half time I think mm. just again Connacht make life really difficult for themselves and I think again like when they're missing Mac when they're missing Bundy it's nice obviously Keane Prendergast released back in you know those players who were in and out of camp but when they're missing their big guns unfortunately 
they, they do struggle they and do, that's yeah. where the issue is, you know, that's where this, the inconsistency comes in for them, you know, mm. so if we can spread the love to kind of, because Adam Byrne has been there, but again, he's just hindered with injuries, so he's in and out. Yeah. Um, do you know, Peter Dooley, the same thing, do you know, so they've had, they have some good signings, but unfortunately they're, they're the fellas who've just unlucky with injuries. So again, yeah. the inconsistency even of the big signings they've had is, it just epitomises them at the moment. So Yeah, for sure. We should probably mention that Dragons actually got a red card around 13. And a yellow card. They played card. with 13 men. Oh, so yeah. that says a lot as well, like that they they only just scraped the win. But it is away from home and it, it is the win at the end of the day. So fair play to Connacht. And we should probably give a mention to Kieran Marmion, who's leaving Connacht. I'm not exactly sure where he's going. Anyone has he's any insight? He's going to, yeah, Bristol. Going to Bristol, Yeah, he's he? going over to Pat Lamb, isn't he? Yep, okay. that's the plan. Okay, nice. That's good signing for him. In fairness, he had two hundred and twenty-two caps and twenty-eight caps for uh, Ireland. Um, so that's a good little one for him. In fairness, I thought he would have stuck around Connacht for a bit longer. I suppose. I think it's a good move for him. Do you know? Yeah. He's just um, he's down the pecking order at the moment, and like Caelan Blaze is, is having a great. You know, he's look unlucky not to be in. Like he's in another position. We're talking about back row, but mm-hmm. like yeah. scrum halves at the moment, so we have a great depth. Like Luke McGrath played the weekend again. I thought he was an exceptional. So yeah. you know, you've so many nines there at the ma- moment, and Caelan Blade has cemented that jersey. So I think Marmion towards the end of his career now deserves that probably bit of consistency and just getting game time. And I'd say that's the only reason he's moving. Mm. I don't think it, I'd say. It was a hard decision to make but just uh, you just want to be playing you know yourself with yeah. that and he's just not getting enough game time at the moment mm. Yeah, and you've experienced in that you played for months for a while and then went over to Richmond and then Harlequins so do you think it's fair enough that these lads decide to move abroad and play their rugby yeah I, I do because personally me I just love adventure and like living somewhere new and getting to know a new city and I, get, I just get such a buzz from that and like if you can use rugby that's what I'm doing at the moment in Spain do you know and, and I studied languages, so when I left college, I w- was in it was like that year or kind of around then into the Irish squad. So I never really got to live places where I could use my languages. So mm. England is kind of the furthest place you could go and still be in contention to play for Ireland. So I went for it, and I like li- yeah, lived over there in London, which I loved, and um, Richmond for years, and won a premiership at Richmond, and then Harlequins, and played a season in Gloucester last year. But since um, you know, since retiring from Ireland last year, I'm like, okay, I've got to use my languages now. So that's what I'm doing at the moment, playing in Spain. And like, I do think, you know, when you hear these, the the players that are kind of down the pecking order, you're like, oh, they could have got more caps for Munster now, or he might have been in with a chance of getting back in with Ireland. You could sit and wait and all of a sudden your kind of playing days are gone. So I don't, I definitely like don't begrudge like any player for looking for kind of an adventure and somewhere new to live and something something new to do because that's how I am personally as well Matt Hansen said that to us as well didn't he yeah. he just wanted to you know play like if he got to travel the world while playing the sport he loved it yeah. was, uh, and now getting paid for and look at him now yeah, yeah true yeah, yeah, yeah. playing on the wing for the best team in the world yeah in fairness you only have what maybe if you're lucky 10 years playing professional rugby and you might as well take your opportunity to see the world and get paid to see the world yeah. and it, I do think it's like a good friend of mine Sam Arnold played for Ulster then he played for Munster for a while got his Irish cap and then he just took a big contract over in Breve and I was chatting yeah. to him a couple of weeks ago and he he's just had a little baby actually and he said he's never been so happy and he's delighted lovely. he didn't stay in the bubble and yes. he said people don't realise that they're stuck in a bubble here like tripping away week in week out and they're, he kind of like realised that he was nowhere near Irish team mm. I think lads kind of 
he was like lads need to realise that they're not going to get into the Irish jersey mm. and to go make the most money you can in the couple of years mm-hmm. you can because you're going to have to retire and then start a career straight away so yeah. you understood that obviously yeah. yeah 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 and like God it is hard because if you do stick it out you know and it, it's do you know whatever percentage of players are that lucky to actually finally get an Irish jersey <laughs> but so many that wait around and they don't they get neither that you know adventure abroad or do you know that uh, they don't get the big the, contract yeah, like, yeah 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 so or, or get to play with Ireland so it, it's that's a very hard decision to make do I give up on my dream or do I do I do this or do that like it's very hard but do you know that's that's lovely to hear now, like about um, Sammy, because I remember him playing in Munster, like that's mm. and especially in France, like just the style of living there, and and um, you know to kind of have young kids over there or bring up a family there, like that's lovely. It's a very yeah. popular thing for rugby players to do. Completely, yeah. I'm very jealous of him, to be honest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you never know. You never Still know. Time. Oh. I'm still only a young fella. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> breathe if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I wouldn't even make a <laughs> making training squad at this shape. Um, moving on now. So Ulster were in action away in Cardiff and they won 40 points to 22. It was actually a really good game. Nathan Doak, uh, 17 points, including a try. Yep. He had a fabulous game. Another scrum half just playing mm-hmm. out of his skin, Lindsay, as you said. Um, James Hume was back in action, seemed back to himself. But one person I do want to mention was Jacob Stockdale. Finally seems to be the Jacob Stockdale of old, shaking off that injury to time out. His try was beautiful down the left wing. He mm-hmm. was on a little, tiny little area, I'd say half a metre, and he chipped over and scored a lovely try like Jacob Stockdale of old. So um, do you think he's coming into good before the World Cup? I'm going to be really mean. Yeah. So his try was excellent. It really was. And I could see the confidence of James Hume and everything else. But he bounced off a tackle that he should have made for Wayne Wright's try. Okay. in the first try and I think this is unfortunately probably the one area of the Jacob Stockdale of old that you know would have been the Achilles heel mm. and I think if we you know and I'm not being harsh on that I, I know I seem like I'm nitpicking but I'm kind of like objectively looking at James Lowe who's really improved his defensive positioning and his tackling the same at Mac Hansen same if we look at Jimmy O'Brien and Jordan Lambert there's areas that have improved and I think we spoke about the back row and you're not only looking at this individual try which is exceptional it was it was exceptional his little deft chip and then to be able to finish it with like three or four players chasing him and hanging off him was exceptional so I can't take away and what he's been through but I'm like I just don't see him there right now he's on the good he's on the right trajectory but there's areas now he needs to, and that's what I'm saying. It wasn't like a rush try. It wasn't like a, sorry, a breakaway try where he had mm. to just make this one-on-one tackle. Like there was still time. It wasn't a player coming at him at speed. He ju- should have taken him down. Mm. Um, and I am, I know I'm like, it's easy for me to sit here and say, I've missed loads of tackles and you don't want to nitpick, but I'm just like, it also, again, it's just bringing us back to the level that the Irish players are at right yeah. now. Mm. And I would hate to be that person outside the bubble trying to get in, knocking on the door going, please let me in. Because you have to be near perfection for every game. Yeah. That's and so I think true, he's, yeah. yeah. He's trying, it's like Jordan Lambert, they're trying so hard and the endeavour and the work. Like I can imagine it just being exhausting going, Jesus, what have I to do here? You're just waiting on someone really, and you don't wish it on them, but you're waiting on someone to get injured, aren't you? You're like, please, yeah. where am I going to get my opportunity here? But it'll yeah. only make them better. 100%. Do you know, they have to keep, they have to keep, he'll, 
you know, he'll be picturing that bounced off tackle now. Yeah, I just think, you, you know, know, there are areas where you're, that's where you're getting noticed. It's not always the, the tries which are exceptional. As I said, it's, yeah. you know, we speak about Ringrose, who's subtle to, to you don't actually understand his importance until he's out. And we mm. saw that last week against Italy, the same with Josh van der Fleer. They're so, such really subtle guys who work so hard. And you actually, un, unless you understand the game, so deeply you don't understand the the work that that doesn't really get recognized does it all that really shitty yards the mm. the like the rook arrivals that all that dirty work and it's the dirty work that's going to get jacob stockdale back in because yeah. they're got, yeah. you don't want to be get bouncing off tackles against south africans even scotland like we've such a tough group to get out of everyone has to be on point mm-hmm. and that's I'd hate to be in that environment. Yeah. Dan said, I'm not sitting here being perfect. Tackling ain't my forte. It's kind of handoffs. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I'm going. You know what? I'm, I'm rooting for him, but I'm like, come on, dude. We need, yeah, you need to do the other dirty bits. Yeah, no, you're so right. To get into that Irish back three, you have to be making so many little mistakes. Like you can't be, you can't really be making any big errors like that, especially schoolboy errors, falling off tackles and stuff. Um, because everyone's playing out of their skin. But also as an over, as an overall team, they're doing okay. They're in third place. They're into the playoff spots, and they're probably nicely in there. They've won ten out of fifteen games. Um, and they remember they had the kind of shaky but in the middle of the season yeah. they've definitely kind of picked it back up like a good win away to Cardiff Cardiff are the best Welsh team 40 points to 22 and they they seem to be in a good spot like so going forward I think what do you think they're, they're doing no right? I think they're doing good because again their variations of tries like the human I thought it was exceptional he didn't panic like he just kept the ball two hands and then until the defender made and then nice little offload they scored yeah. uh, Tom Stewart got two tries off Malls. Yeah. so again they have power up front when they need it and they have like sublime flashy backs when they need it um, Doak as well um, to have that little little cheeky snipe at the at the rook to, to get his try um, nice pass to Billy Burns for his try so again their variation and what they can you know challenge against teams so I think they're but they're back on track and they're building nicely and consistently so confidence is building and you can see that oozing yeah because there's only three I think um, in-season games left mm-hmm. in the URC so if they keep going the way they're going they will be in the playoff spots yeah. which is good for them and think they deserve it and who's just above them are Stormers who had a good win uh, against Sharks to say second in the table and then also elsewhere in the league um, there was a surprise win for Lions over the Bulls and Benetton actually beat the Ospreys which was nuts um, at the scoreline I don't know exactly what it was it was close enough but I believe Ospreys were at home weren't they Pat? Mm. Yeah which is, just shows that Ospreys must be in dire straits or Benetton have been playing some expansive yeah. rugby so I'd say yeah. it's a combination of both Combo. Benetton have been the team I think to watch this season like they've played some really really nice uh, rugby some nice offload and kicking game has been exceptional so yeah. it's nice to see the Italians work you know paying off as well yeah. mm. so I think yeah, yeah uh, Benetton won 21-20 in Ospreys like, so it was a way win excellent. as well which mm. is incredible like. mm-hmm. but geez, where do we start with Wales? I know we're talking about actually, Ireland and spreading even, the love do we even want to get into it like what's going on with Wales so obviously they ended up playing against England which is great mm-hmm. it's great for rugby as a whole that they did that they did turn up and play the game yeah. and they didn't get smashed no it's just good then. it's actually a decent game they played alright yeah. um, but the clubs like it's just so bad to see like no, as we know, we said before, I think in the podcast, no, no Welsh teams in the top eight. So even if Connacht do finish eight, with they're in it, which they're in at the moment, I think um, they they have to finish at least seventh because a Welsh team is going to be given a spot yep. regardless. Which is so annoying for Connacht because yeah. they're trying their best. They've slipped into the top eight. They won't make it at the moment if it stays the way it is, because um, Cardiff will probably get one of those spots. But like, where do you think? We, 
where they're going to go in Welsh Rugby Union they're just all over the place I think they're at I hope they're at rock bottom in which case the only way is up I didn't know where you were going with that but fair play yeah. <laughs> do you know yeah. it, it, it has to be addressed fully a f- big overhaul of the decision makers the people that are in there like the heartbreaking stories that you're hearing from the players that are like I don't know what to do if do you know with, with my wage and I don't know I don't know why I'm here and it, like just the, the stories that are coming out it's not just kind of about rugby now actually do you know it's about no. Yeah. Life and 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 their their family life and 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 um, uh, they've they've the the only way is up and I say that like from a very optimistic point of view in that okay they're going to address it now they've got to um just it's all well and good addressing it but I mean like like we know it takes years to build franchises like that and yeah. I mean they're three three from three in losses at the opening of their. Six Nations, they're under 20s as far as I'm aware and I'm open for correction, are on the same. Um, so if that's the structure internationally, you have to look at then what's underneath because that's what's yeah. feeding into it. Yeah. Um, and at this stage, that's there's talk a, of merging clubs. Yeah. Ealing Train Finders with Cardiff. Is it Ospreys? Yeah. Like, Ealing Train Finders are England, are London, are they not? In London, yeah. So... <laughs> How does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that's know. making no sense. And I'm not sure Welsh rugby needs now... Do you know, they're a very proud nation. You don't really want to help and hand off your the neighbours that you don't really like to your right. <laughs> no. The sad thing is for Welsh Rugby Union is that, as you kind of alluded to there, they have to start from the ground up and that's going to take years. years like yeah. This isn't a quick fix. They have to go, like they have to shed away all the crap, all the like toxic people inside the systems and start again and create, and they might have to merge clubs or create new clubs. Yep. And like, this isn't going to be a quick fix for them at all. And what are they going to do when the Alwyn Jones and the Liam Williams and George North retire? Yeah. Who are they going to put in there? Like It's oh. actually quite, it's a very uh, precarious situation for Wales at the moment. And they're obviously just holding on for the next couple of months. But then they have a World Cup that they have to deal with as well. This is the worst yeah. timing for them. Yeah. Like they should be concentrating on getting ready for World Cup and building a squad. And they're worried about contracting yeah. players. Yeah, yeah. It's the so rugby bad. is secondary to everything, actually. Yeah. yeah, which is very sad. It is sad. I mean, we, we, we speak about it and it's not, it's not nice. Do you know what I mean? And it's, do you know, can you look at the likes of Shane Williams, who was a lion and a world-class player and probably defied the odds of actually becoming a rugby player in, in his stature. And, you know, he fought against everything. And, you know, yeah, the Alwyn Jones and Jesus, the list is endless as to the amount of exceptionally world-class rugby players, Ken, Ken Owens, you know, like they're exceptional players that come out of there. But, why has that production line stopped? Yeah. Mm. Like that just didn't stop overnight. That's been stopped over to- like years of toxic input and not, you know, shedding the love to the to your, your golden child that you've produced. But what about all your other kids underneath that w- you will need yeah. at one day, you know? That comes with like their, their how, how successful they've been over the last like decade and that's starting to like wane and, you know, like last year and coming into this year now and the, how just they've like just dropped off so much. That's when the problems arise is when you start to lose. Do you know, yeah. if you're winning, so you're right, these problems obviously have been going on for years, but they don't get addressed if you're winning. Yeah, and you have so, the top golden child covering up all the mess underneath. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's, that's, that's it, that's what's been it. Happening. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think of like... New Zealand um, women's team last year when they came over to England and played a 
pre-World Cup tour. They came over to England and were absolutely... Diabolical, shambolic. It was terrible. They, and I, I was so shocked. I was like, oh my God, England are going to run away with this World Cup. But because they lost so dramatically and because it was so poor, they had a complete overhaul. They addressed everything. Like It was kind of a quick fix, but actually they did it right. What happened? They won the World Cup. So... I can't see someone like Wayne Smith coming in for six months and doing that with it. No, well, why I'd, pick Warren Gatlin then? I can't see I'm not it. suggesting that Wales are going to win the World no. Cup. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it, all I'm saying is that they need to, like that was rock bottom for New Zealand then. Mm-hmm. And for them to be able to like, right, what can we do here? Yes, we've got, and they're working on that. And I was there for the World Cup and I can see like the stuff that they're doing at grassroots and everything that's all being addressed. But at the top level, they were able to make the sufficient changes. And then the players themselves are the ones who carried the team to win a World Cup. Yeah. Mm. Um, players have to buy in. Yeah. Yeah. But I think New Zealand, I haven't been down there now to see the club system, but I presume that their club system is in a good space. And it was just they had a couple of dodgy people inside there, so it wasn't being run properly. There's a combo of things. They're not the women's side. Are, and I would say the men's side of the New Zealand Rugby Union isn't exactly... They're not doing everything right. It's it's not as like, oh, wow, New Zealand rugby. There's a lot of very unhappy people down there with how things are being run, but it's being addressed now. Okay. A lot of voices talking about it and a lot of question marks and a lot of, uh, a lot of people saying, hang on a second now, because they've, especially in the women's side of things, they, they've seen, like, they love their women's team. They mm. are brilliant, like, and they did such an amazing job to win that World Cup. And now everyone's, like, waiting to kind of push on with their legacy. Um, so they're like, hang on a second, is this right? Why why is there only so much funding for this tournament? And how come she's not playing for this team? And so there's a lot of awareness and questioning there now as well, which is going to continue to happen if you think about Wales. The, su- the supporters deserve more as well and they're going to be like hang on a second yeah you see New Zealand have their seventh so like the women's team won the uh, Vancouver isn't that where it was just there so they won it gold again Uh, they were in the Olympics obviously they won uh, World Cup do you know so they have such a talented pool of players Mm. that it's nice for them to be able to move in and out yeah. Whereas if you look at Wales, it's not like they have a sevens programme. No, it's completely I mean? different. No, it's completely different. Kind but of at least there's blood in, on some level. And then you have the Farrah Palmer Cup with all the, you know, the provinces uh, as well that are feeding in. So there's some good things being done there. You can't even see that in Wales rugby now when we're going over the URC and we're like, loss, 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 consistently loss, loss, loss. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and but it is testament, and I back up what you said. Like it's it was lovely to see the turnaround, and it was like fairy tale stuff from New Zealand. Like toxic Wayne Smith comes in, fixes everything, um, and they win a World Cup. It was like fairy tale. That doesn't happen very mm. often. Um, but I just don't see an easy get out for Wales, and they're just going to have to be patient with uh, a barren period for yeah. now. Yeah. Till yeah. They, so yeah. just have to take a page out of New Zealand women's book, and maybe put like a Leinster system as like the pinnacle of like okay that's what we kind of want to emulate the club system building up into the team and all the academy players being on the same page as the senior players and yeah. stuff like that so we'll see our heart goes out to Wales because we all love them as a rugby nation mm. so hopefully they pull, it, pull their socks up and get it done but they're facing I think Italy in Rome this coming weekend so who knows they might have a good performance over there but great opportunity for Italy to get a win against them mm. um, but our very own Ireland are going over to Murrayfield and you tried to talk about it earlier so I want you to talk about it now <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a massive massive game and as you kind of said Lindsay it could be a banana 
the skin for us. Scotland are good across the board, like all the way from Jamie Ritchie to Finn Russell, obviously, to Hugh Jones and Vandermeer on the wing. I'm like, there's no real weakness in Scotland anymore. Well, Hugh Jones has just reignited his career, hasn't he, really? Yeah. Um, so we've the centre kind of, like, who's our centre partnership? Is Henshaw going to be back in with Ringrose to the sacred partnership, you know? Um, so the, the two centre will be headbanging. Uh, the battle of the two tens, the battle of the two nines, the battles of the back row. Like <laughs> Richie will, will we sh- see Hamish Watson back in? Um, it Fagerson like at eight. Watson will be back in if they're playing him for Edinburgh. It mm. looked like he should. Yeah, be it looked like. And you know what? He's an absolute. Pain. He's like he's like Anna. He's an absolute pain in the arse around the mm. breakdown. And if you're going to stop Ireland, you're going to target their breakdown. And I see. And same with Richie. Like I thought he was exceptional. Some of his work last week to get to some of the rooks to keep that quick ball moving. Mm. And we can see that now with Scotland that they're kind of very much Ireland-esque in how quickly they're moving the ball they want that quick rook ball so it's always this backward line and winning winning easy game line and keeping the ball moving anyone's playing at nine and keeping the ball moving mm. um, I think the battle of the front rows actually will be key like Scotland yeah. have an exceptionally good front row and pack um, so I just think there's going to be battles uh, all over the pitch and I think if Finn Russell other than giving his intercept pass um, for Ramos to go in it with an easy try last week. Like, you can't go 19-0 down against France and try to get back, which they nearly did. Mm. But if they can fix that against Ireland, I think, Jesus Christ, we'll be biting our nails and sweating until yeah. the final whistle. It is going to be a tight one. What do you think, Anna? I think that's what we need. 100%. I think, uh, yeah, I agree. I hope it's going to be a brilliant game. <sighs> Win or lose, draw, actually doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, Jesus Christ, Anna, we're going for the win. We're just kind of building up. I know, up. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, and like, it'll be great. And like, we'll obviously, we'd obviously be disappointed if we lost. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's not like, ah, whatever. But whatever happens, as long as we're learning and improving for a World Cup and we learn enough from Scotland mm. and we don't show all our cards, I don't know, like that's obviously something else to kind of debate. But I, I, I trust that we have enough kind of variety and attack that that's like not going to happen. And, because, you know, that's happened to us in the last World Cups. Like, we've, like, kind of literally shown everything. So everyone had us read so much that they were able to just kind of pick us apart. I trust that this team has kind of learned enough. And I think Andy Farrell is smart enough not to um, kind of show all our cards so that Scotland is able to know what to do next time they, they play us. But likewise, they'll be thinking the same thing. Because we have to play each other and in however many months' time in, in a World Cup group. Um yeah, I think it's a good look at to what we're going to be facing in October when we have them in our group group stages in the World Cup. And I feel like the Irish 15s team, they won't be looking, they won't be thinking about the World Cup. But I think for us as like supporters and that mm. much, it's a great look at, OK, this is going to be a big game when we come down to the group stages down in France. And like, it's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to get into the quarterfinals because we have to beat South Africa and Scotland at the World Cup yep. to get in. So this can be a good snapshot. And it'll be also a good battle of who's going to have the mindset set going into that match then in the World Cup because yeah. I don't think we're going to meet each other again over the summer period so no. playing now whoever has that mental edge of the win going into that's going to be massive so there's a lot on the line here and we've had Jimmy O'Brien on the podcast before Lindsay and he mm-hmm. says that Finn Russell can do absolutely anything like and they're all when they play he's against the hardest him, to play against and he said so it. hard to play because yeah. brings the ball to the line so flat and he's like 14 options because mm-hmm. he can yeah. do everything yeah. so 
that's going to be, I think, our Achilles heel. If he can pick little um, gaps in our defence. So it's going to be a great test, I think, for Irish defence, especially the back three guys closing off. Because, you know, Finn Russell, he throws the balls over the top. He kicks yes. him behind. So the boys are going to have their work cut out for him this yeah. weekend, I think. Um, I feel like the pack, Irish pack, is going to will be on top of their their pack, the Scottish pack. Um, and I do, like you, Lindsay, I don't think we're going to lose. But I think it's going to be a tight game for sure. I think discipline as well is going to be key. Um, like if... Well, the only thing is, Finn Russell now is, isn't as consistent as a kicker. Um, but then would Stuart Hogg step up? So they've kind of other options there. Uh, I think he he had a great game, Stuart Hogg. I feel the cap, the release of the captaincy and the pressure off him um, with putting the captaincy on Richie has really allowed him to be back playing to the to the standard we expect mm. of him. Yeah. I thought he was exceptional. Um, in their performance against France and they were very unlucky but as I said I don't think any international team can go 19-0 down and then expect to kind of come back and win a game but mm. they did try their best and I think it will be I think Finn Russell and Hogg and how we handle Van der Merwijk because geez the French were absolutely didn't give him an inch they they tried everything in their power to just like bully him and really hard hits on him so I think discipline will key who, who won't lose a yellow like a player to yellow card or red card mm. um, I think Finn Russell, if we can kind of lasso him and keep him under wraps. Um, Van der Merwe, I think, would be key and, and Stuart Hogg. But I think on uh, every other area of the pitch, I think mm. we're good to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, and how we deal with the kicks. But positionally, we were excellent against France and we kept the ball moving, we kept the ball in play. And I think if we can do that against Scotland as well. Yeah. And maybe use a bit more set piece and kind of overpower them. A couple of trick plays. I think I think we'll be good, but I think it'll be exceptionally tight until the, the kind of last 20 minutes. Yeah. And do you think it goes back to the normal starting 15 that Andy Farrell likes or do you think anyone will get a shot against Scotland? Well, who starts in second row now? Because we had this argument because obviously Todd Byrne is out. So who would you start instead um. of him? It's going to be James Henderson. Ryan anyway. This is going to be one of them. Yeah. Surely. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. who replaces Burns? Um, Henderson started against Italy. Would you start him again? Pat, don't get upset about this, okay? <laughs> 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 who else do we have? So we've Bard. Uh, you could play Coombs in second row. I think Joe McCarthy is still out. He's he's ruled out to the end of Six so Nations. So between Ryan Baird and... Um, Henderson. And Henderson. Henderson Reid. Hmm. Interesting. Henderson. Greg? Um, I think just to go against Anna, I think Bart. No, I do think Bart. I almost changed what yeah. I said after <laughs> I said it as well. <laughs> I think because Bart is a little bit more dy- dynamic than Henderson at the moment, mm-hmm. unless Andy Farr is trying to go for a really set, set piece and like uh, meticulous and get everything just like straight, straight and cross your T's and dot your I's and in Ian Henderson. I think Bart offers you more around the pitch. I'd go with Bart because I yeah. think uh, the Scottish second row, they're not as, as mobile. They kind of match Henderson, so they kind of negate each other. But I think Bart to kind of do all the donkey work and really run them around the pitch and tire them out for Henderson just to really kind of manage the game uh, for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. And I think as well as when you say, I would envisage it's still being uh, O'Mahony, Doris and Van der Fleer in the back row. So you've O'Mahony there like leading that line out mm-hmm. so if in the last 20 minutes we needed a leader to step up Henderson then comes in to, to yeah. and you've James Ryan and Mahoney as, as your line out leaders and your pack leaders hopefully Furlong comes back in to kind of cement things in for the scrum um, and I assume Dan Sheehan will be back after a hamstring injury yeah, so and Johnny will be back as well yeah. I'm sure after his who starts point. at nine who starts at nine I presume Gibson Park's still injured is he yeah I think so is he Pat he's G- back in the squad yeah he said he's fit so 
might give him a go if he's he's ready to go, like because he was the number one choice. But um, uh, Murray actually has sped up his his rook. His rook speed has really increased, and I think he's really yeah. stepped up. And I think he'd be unfortunate, probably. But like I said, I think the speed of rook and how we want to move Scotland, uh, Gibson Park might get the run. Depends how he's training after the injury. To be honest, who would you go? With? I think Murray would start, even if um, JGP was available. And then drop Casey altogether? I think so. Oh, God, the poor child. I okay. know. Poor Casey did so well as well. But he's just, he's still just growing, doing his entrepreneurship. He's brilliant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, uh, and, but, internship but even. Apprenticeship. Yeah, his entrepreneurship. entrepreneurship. Yeah, entrepreneurship. And that too. <laughs> <laughs> but he's had plenty of game time as well and did really well. Like, not just, you know, you're kind of five, ten minutes here and then you get dropped because someone else is available. Do you know, he was given a good bit of time as well, which was great. Good to him. Who would you start as your centres? Um, if... Gary's good to go, Gary, of course. And, uh, and Who's his 12? Um, I think Bundy. I just like Bundy. Do you think McCluskey would probably get it, though? But I would like to see Bundy in there. So you'd start with Bundy and yeah. Ringrose. Who would you go? Mm, McCluskey, maybe. Just to go against Greg. <laughs> God, I feel like I have to remove myself here. Um, well, Scotland's centres are good. I'd probably stick with McCluskey and Ringrose, to be honest. I think Bundy is actually... Well, he was out of position now against City in the 13 shirt, but he made a great impact in the last few games coming off the bench. I think he's someone yeah. who just when teams are tired, he's really just like absolutely hammers home. So I'll probably keep him as impact off the bench, but we, could, we might be talking about either of them lads if Henshaw's back in and he's training well, he might. Mm. I can't see Henshaw going straight back in getting a start, but it might be on the bench, Henshaw, and give him a few minutes. But we'll see. Um there's so much we could talk about with the Irish team but we have to move on and talk about an Irish legend um, he actually got chatting with our very own Pat um, Mr Brian O'Driscoll listen to this here Brian O'Driscoll uh, pleasure to talk to you today um, there's a, a chat that we work with Jason Hennessy and he's just so very jealous that I'm, I'm chatting <laughs> to you today um, so, so great to talk to you we're here at Old Belvedere as well and this is I remember um, when I was doing my book a few years ago, there was talk about, uh, is this one of the places you used to come and get changed out of the back of the cars and stuff yeah. like that here? Yeah, it was. Yeah, this is the start of, Lens actually before we, we did end up making this our base with Leinster, we used to be nomads. We'd, we'd get text messages, you know, an hour before training, oh, we're in this pitch or we're there or we're in St. Andrews. And, and so this became our base then for probably about seven or eight years, I would have thought, maybe at least. Um, so yeah, you know, we were in um, containers out the size, physio <laughs> and containers, meeting room. It's, it's a while since I've been up here. So yeah, reminiscing um, about yeah, yeah. very different days. Mm. And um, we were actually talking to recently, or uh, we do House of Rugby as well, and Greg O'Shea was talking to Josh van der Fleer, and he was talking about his early days with Leinster, and uh, his famous story for him, he was probably scared witless, was coming into train. Have you heard that when he came into train with you guys when he was in the academy? And he just remembers you passed him the ball and the first thing he did and he dropped it. And he said he stuck, that stuck with him. I was wondering, do you remember that moment at all or anything like that? Or even, or even a young Josh van der Fleer, what he was like in the squad with you? I, I can't specifically remember that. No, I'm, I'm glad I don't because... What sort of person would that me, me, me going? I remember his first error, error within the Leinster camp. He's not going to make it. He's never going to be World Player of the Year. Um, no, I, I think, listen, there's always a nervousness with younger guys coming through. And I think what's really important, and you see it now with the, with 
kind of the unity of lots of the provincial teams and the national team is about making them feel at home, making them feel comfortable and and making them feel as though they've earned the right to be there and that they belong there. Yeah, yeah. The I remember again, like I'm actually trying not to do this too much, mention my book that I did a few years ago. But my book. <laughs> you I'm have just a book. Pull it out now, like <laughs> leather bound books. <laughs> But uh, I remember chatting to, to Johnny Sexton then when he first kind of, actually when I was doing it, but he hates the narrative that he was, uh, that it was all because of Contopomi did his leg, that he then broke through and stuff. And I remember he was very keen to stress that to me, that like, no, like, you know, I was establishing that team and all back then, but... Was he? Yeah, that's the, that's the question. <laughs> I was going to, to check that with you. Like, no, Johnny was, was a coming player, of course. Like, Felipe was moving on to Toulon that year because... Johnny was ready to, you know, to, to be number one. Yeah. And I think it, you know, the semi-final and final supercharged people, other people's belief in him being the, the correct mm. choice. Whereas, you know, Johnny's always been a big believer in his own ability. And I think, you know, coaching staff and us as players had, had a clear idea that he was a player that was on the rise. Mm. Maybe didn't envisage him getting to the meteoric heights that he has subsequently transpired to achieve, but we knew that he was a very good player. Well, and what was that like, you know, because like, you and Gordon would have had that thing when you were kind of, like, wasn't Gordon, he didn't go to the South Africa tour because he was doing his leaving cert and, and stuff like that. Like, but you guys would have been in from an early age then. Can you remember those kind of first sessions in with mm. the big, hairy lads who had jobs and stuff like that? What Very that like? well. The first one over in Galway, I was so scared. Um, and it's the small things that you remember um, where I, I came down to dinner and you don't know where to sit. You don't know what the mm. protocol is. And I think, you know, there must have been a nervousness around me, but Kevin Maggs, my, who was a you know, centre partner for 35 or 40 caps, um, he saw this and he, and he called me over and goes, come on over and sit down here with us, and it just straight away you're at ease and a bit more comfortable, particularly as a very young guy, we what, would have been 19 at that stage, mm. um, don't feel like you belong there at all, why am I actually in Irish camp? And then you go out and train, and that's a lot more natural, you just, you're, you're in your, the environment that you feel as though is second nature to you, whereas you go into team meetings and the team team room and see what goes on, kind of like, oh, I don't know what's acceptable and not. I remember going in and seeing Trevor Brennan, you know, the first um, team room I went into, I just had a like a bag open and he was just taking a load of LucasAid sports and putting them <laughs> into his bag. I was like, is he, is he stealing these? <laughs> like, what's happening then? And then someone saw me looking at that and I was like, oh, no, 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 like, you're allowed to take all that stuff off to your room if you want. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, what, free? <laughs> the Lucas it's for this is deadly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's like, uh, and then can you, because I remember we had recently enough, we were talking to Robbie Henshaw and, you know, hopefully he's now going to be back for the next round of the Six Nations games as well. But he was talking about that thing of his first time in camp as well. I think it was probably out of Carton House and, I was kind of wondering, like, for you, along, along the years, like, there was a famous kind of Gary Ringrose one where he came in and impressed everybody. The lads are going to be doing that, I think, today and tomorrow against the under-20s. Can you remember a couple of lads who would have came in over the years that, like, you'd be like, oh, this guy, keep an eye on this guy? Like, I knew Gary immediately. Yeah? I couldn't, what I couldn't believe was we trained against him, and then he went away and played for the Irish-20s, you know, the following weekend, and then didn't get selected for the next game. And I was like, what are you doing back here? And he goes, oh, I didn't get selected for, the, for whatever fixture it was. I can't remember who they were then playing. And I was like, what? Because immediately you could see he got it, angles of running. And I don't think you can, some of that stuff's mm. not really learned skill. I think it's, it's innately part of your rugby makeup and your understanding as to how 
the game works. Yeah, yeah. And so when you do identify it in someone, you kind of it, it really stands them apart from their peers. And I thought that was so evident with Gary from very early on. And and then it was just going to be a case of him filling out, and he's you know what a player he's become. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of people that were very interested in you wearing glasses at the weekend. This is like almost there was stories about it, but Chris was wearing glasses. Um, I remember you wrote about it in your book about how your vision was almost not like blurred when you played. And then did you get laser eye surgery to get yeah, fixed? Yeah, I worked on a lot of shapes and um, rather than detail because I wasn't able to wear contact lenses when I played. And when I went in to get my eyes lasered, the, the specialist said the only reason I was able to actually play sport was because I'd lost my sight at such a young age that my brain adapted to being able to see different things rather than detail and mm. specifics, but more shapes and, um, and, and, and maybe at times I was, oh, I'll have a go through that gap and there was actually no gap there, <laughs> but ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> see someone coming from but you. now I'm back wearing glasses again. Yeah, 15, I only got 15 years out of my laser, but um, less concerned about wearing glasses now than I was in my teenage years. Because also because the range is slightly better yeah. um, now than it was in the 80s. And also I don't have like milk bottle um, thickness of lenses anymore. Yeah, Funny, the- modern science will actually reduce them down <laughs> 25 years later, 30 years later. And would you have to go now for a re-up? Like, you know, like, would you go, would you bother again? Or now that you just said the glasses and- I, lenses I'm not bothered better? now. Like, I don't even know if I can get another to, uh, top up on, on the laser, but um, I'm only a month in wearing them again. But I like looking at my phone, it's embarrassing. I'm now, <laughs> I'm like, I'm that one. I'm like my, I'm like my dad, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah I've, not, I've got one pair of glasses. I probably am going to need many pairs of glasses. And inevitable that they'll be misplaced and lost, yeah. but it's part and parcel of getting old, isn't it? It is indeed. It's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. I was actually listening to, because um, I think maybe you put it up yesterday, the, you were talking to Brian McClare um, oh, yeah. and, and his one. It was a very good one. I was having a listen to it this morning. And I haven't listened back to it. Is it all right? Good, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. I was kind of saying, yeah, it's kind of almost like they, he has his two co-hosts with him as well, like mm. almost like the Peter Crouch style or something like that. But um, yeah, it was interesting to kind of hear, because I'm kind of your vintage as well. Like we're kind of around the same era, like, but that Mark Hughes was your favourite player because McClare was mine was when I was right? kind of yeah. Yeah, growing up. And, but then I was kind of, I suppose out of it, like he get, he gets some interesting stuff that he talks about as well. But um, I was kind of, what, what, like what else kind of like, you were saying cousins of yours were Manchester, from, mm. from Manchester and that's how you go into it. But, you know, I was kind of, over the years, did you get to meet some of the lads that would have been your heroes then when you were growing up? Um, like I, I would have gone to, the, to United, to Old Trafford a bit, but not a lot. Mm. Um, so I, I suppose I've probably subsequently met some of them um, through different events and things. I, I, you know, I met kind of Paul Scholes and you know Gary Neville, and I met David Beckham a couple of times. All very brief, but yeah. like, but to be able to have a conversation and and spend a little bit of time, um, you know, at a couple of events with Mark Hughes it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I told on that on that podcast, mm. Kevin Moran took the picture of us because he knew he was yeah, a huge yeah. fan, and it's the worst photo I've ever seen. <laughs> like it's totally blurred. Yeah, really. I was yeah. Like he had one th- he had one job, and he couldn't Warren. get it done. Like, yeah. come on. God damn you, Moran! <laughs> you literally, you Moran. <laughs> <laughs> My dad actually. Um... <laughs> 
<laughs> my dad um, got me his autograph years ago. He's in Cassidy's pub on, on Camden Street there, and it was on the back of a beer mat. You know, like those kind of. Mm. But you cherish that beer mat ah. for so many years. Like, and I yeah. think as well, you have to kind of remember that as well when you're signing autographs, you know, too for people that, you know, a squiggle. Like, it doesn't take an awful lot of time and effort to write someone's name. And you forget how big that can be to somebody else because you are that child once mm. upon a time. So I think it's really important that that kind of resonates with you and that, um, that you don't kind of flippantly not think about the magnitude that it can and, the, and, yeah. and how, how big it can be in someone's day or, or you know, for it can be very impactful. Yeah. Who's the kind of like the most random or who's the kind of the strangest person you never thought you'd meet that you have ended up, you know, rubbing shoulders with like through your kind of the career or, or stuff you do as well? Oh, Cheney, who's the most random? That actually sounds like an insult, but isn't it? But like, um, yeah, just kind of. <laughs> I, th I, I think the person I probably was most excited about meeting and it wasn't through, it, yes, it was through technically through rugby back in 09. Uh, Peter Aiken, who puts on concerts oh, yeah. Um, yeah. here, um, invited me to a Bruce Springsteen concert, and I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan and in the RDS, and he's put the events on for years, and he got me a private meeting with Brilliant. Bruce just before he went on stage. And that, like, I, I, I'm pretty cool with, you know, meeting most mm. people, not with him. Really, um, yeah. Yeah, it was, I was, like... <laughs> It was just, it was a cool moment. Yeah, yeah. And it was really cool. And the only, and I've got a picture, I don't have that much stuff on my wall. The only downside to it is that I was wearing a white t-shirt in it and it looked like you could hang a wet duffel coat on my nipple coming through <laughs> the um, t-shirt. The so that's the only downside to that, to that meeting. That's Everything like, else positive. Just like you see it on your wall and you're just like, fucking that. I was like, that's all I can see is, <laughs> you got to get your eye taken out with it. <laughs> I was actually, I was talking because I said that sometimes I do a bit of like lecturing in, in sports journalism and stuff and I would talk to people about um, just meet the whole idea of interviewing people and, and kind of like and how to get comfortable and the kind of relationship you have over the years. But I was always telling them that at the 2011 World Cup, because um, I was kind of late 20s when I properly got into like focusing on sports journalism. And I, I remember interviewing yourself and Rod just like at that World Cup I remember saying, listening back on the dictaphone to myself, and I had this kind of high-pitched, hey, Brian, like, you know, like <laughs> and I was, I only had to have a word with myself and be but like, we've all been there, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I, like, you know, even when I started doing, being an analyst in TV, and you look back now, eight or nine years later, and I'd be horrified at what yeah. I see. Experience counts for everything, you mm. know, where you've been there a number of times, and you've asked lots of questions, and, and then you find a way as well. It's like, even with me, trying to find something to ask a player that I know they won't be bored being, mm. you know, being asked again, yeah, you know? Yeah. So uh, it just shows, I, one thing I, I thought when I was a young player coming through, I was like, experience, rolling my eyes, all these guys <laughs> talk about how important experience is, and then having an appreciation as an older player about how undervalued it was, mm. and how much that cool, calm individual having been there before, how much that does count for just Settling yeah. everyone's nerves around them and, and including your own. Yeah. And it's like I even like I was actually even gonna touch on that whole thing where you even spoke about the, the captaincy and all the extra kind of stuff that's involved in that, but like the art of the press conference now as well, where I was like when I used to talk to Joe Schmidt, I used to like he was great at just what we'd call like eating the clock. Like he would yeah. just 
you would ask him a question specifically and he was a great way of locking eyes with you but not answering your question yeah. and all of a sudden four minutes had gone and mm. you'd walk out and you'd go, shit, he did it again. Like, yeah. but, but you can't break tricks, that too. So yeah. You can't break it, right? Conor O'Shea was another one when he was with Harlequins. Like you knew, he knew that there was a three and a half minute segment or three minute segment mm. and so it didn't matter what he was asked. Yeah. He had his answer. And, and you're trying to interject, but you can't. But that's just the way. Mm. You know, they, they, these guys know to be able to control the narrative they want told. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah like, I suppose in, like, they're kind of things that you pick up along the way as well. Then, as well. But it was even in the early days, as kind of like taken over, because a captain at such a young age as well, is there anything you kind of remember about like an early slip up or something you might have just, you're just being honest, but then that came back to bite you in a headline or anything like that? Anything yeah, the one, the one that really sticks out was... Very early on uh, in 04, England had just won the World Cup and I was just made captain on a full-time basis um, after Keith Wood retiring in the World Cup. Our, and yeah, they, their first game back at Twickenham having, yes, having won yeah. it. And we, I, I was trying to have a bit of a laugh in the press conference during the week. And it was something that Roy Keane had said about the prawn sandwich brigade and we were asking about this fans is silencing the crowd. And I said, oh yeah, hopefully we'll give... <clears throat> the prawn sandwich brigade something to choke on <laughs> and I was like ah oh, laughing in my own head that's a great gag <laughs> oh gosh it went down so badly Clive had a big bite the next day and was like oh people should learn to keep their mouths shut when really you know, yeah and then Lawrence had a few choice words for me in the first five minutes of the game at the bottom of a rook as well and when I say words it was more actions than words <laughs> and so I remember thinking yeah Maybe not, don't try the wise, you know, wise yeah. cracks. Maybe just the straight bat is your better option from now on, particularly when you're vastly inexperienced in these situations. <laughs> I've got this lads like, yeah. See along. <laughs> Gangster, get out. There was a, there was a one about, um, about, I think I always remember like England, they used to always have like motivational messages up their tunnel and Twickenham and stuff like mm. that. And was it that 2004 game? I remember it was somebody had said like they were world champions and then one of the Irish lads wrote something on the wall of the tunnel like, not anymore or something like that because they've been so proud of it. I can't imagine. <laughs> Who would want to get caught writing not anymore? <laughs> like is that, it's a great gag, don't get yeah, me wrong, yeah. it's a great gag, but like, I'm not gonna be that guy yeah. with the old, with your red pen out as the old, oh, oh no, it's not me. But it's in red and you've got a red pen in your hand. <laughs> oh no, it was somebody else. It was the one-armed man. <laughs> um, actually, only to kind of talk about that, maybe just I wasn't planning on asking this now, but it was, I think it was the year before the 2003 one came and, you know, the famous one about the, the mm. red carpet and stuff. Mm. But I always remember in that game that Eric Miller like, was such a great player to you guys. And I think it was 2003 game, maybe it was 2001, but he was such a great player to Ireland at the time. But they went out and did him in in the first 10 minutes of that game. Like, that's how ruthless that England team were. I don't think Eric Miller lasted till, till half time. Oh, you better better memory than me. Um, no, we were hanging on. You know, there was a great England team in 03. And, I, you know, I've answered a lot about, you know, the... The red carpet and and the president mm. and everything and, and I totally understood Martin Johnson's stance on it. You know there was nowhere for them to go. They'd they'd obviously lost the Six Nations. Excuse me. Um, the three years previously on the final day, and they just couldn't go back. You know without winning the Grand Slam this yeah. time, and they didn't. <laughs> it was it was pretty convincing. You know yeah, by, yeah. by 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 the eightieth minute. Yeah, yeah. We hung in until half time. I think it was like seven or eight point game and then they just we just got tackled out yeah yeah and it was it was pretty pretty ruthless from them at the time as well like but um yeah i kind of wanted to kind of even ask you then about the um 
like let's say like, like yes, I was lucky enough to talk to Donica Ryan. He's over now at like Raj over in La Rochelle and kind of just talking about how his kids are speaking French now and, mm. and like even there, that's probably in a way once you go over and visit La Rochelle or you see the scenes over there, you're like you'd be thinking Raj would be it would take a lot to kind of tempt them out of that as well. Like, but like at this, then I was kind of thinking because I was talking to you today. It was like coaching; it's kind of gone at this stage for you, hasn't it? Like, you, you wouldn't be tempted now at this stage to get drawn back into it in any in any way, would you? Like today, I quite like the variety of what I do now. To be honest with you, um, and the, and the coaching isn't something that you can stick your toe in and dabble with. You know, you you need to be full bore at it. You know, international coaching is probably the dream. Mm. Where it's you know nine ten games a year, you know very very intense for a concerted period of time, but then you're able to step away and and not be day to day. Albeit you're having to do an awful lot of preparation and whatnot and watching lots of games, it's not the same level of intensity that mm. that club coaching is. So that I think everyone's trying to get to international coaching yeah. <laughs> if the truth yeah. be known. Yeah, but it's hard to stay. There's only so many international teams, yeah. and then. You know, you don't want to peak too soon as well. So yeah. uh, you've got to learn your trade as well. And the, the place to do that is at, at the club. But from my own perspective, never say never, but I, um, I, I don't know what the circumstances would need to play out for me to go from what I'm doing now into, into a coaching role. It, it probably isn't overly conducive to our family life as well. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that would be a big factor, you know, of upheaval of going somewhere and, mm. and changing things up. I don't think we'd have a, an appetite for that in our house. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I remember talking to like Rory Best when he was kind of coming up to retirement and it was funny at one stage he was like, he was almost worried he didn't know what to do and I was kind of saying to him, you'd be grand. <laughs> you're like, I know, but it, it's it is very a funny hard thing, when, you're, like, when, yeah. you, when, you're, when you're When you're living it yourself, we can yeah. all give the best advice to other people. Yeah. You can't give good advice to yourself. Oh uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, and you can see the wood from the trees sometimes mm. around what the opportunities might or might be and might arise. You're yeah. You, there's there's definitely a nervousness that comes with finishing up yeah. and the uncertainty as to what you're going to move into. And, yeah. And that's why I think what's really important if if you have the luxury of being able to take a bit of time and choose and decide what is for you and what's not for you, mm. rather than throwing yourself into something and jumping around different things because. Mm. They don't really work for you. I think there's been some really smart guys that have you know, taken a step away, taken a year off, and not panicked. Yeah. And, and I suppose we're lucky from a tax back you know, point of view that it, it affords you the opportunity to to bide your time and pick and choose, you know, a, a bit smarter. Yeah, yeah. I was speaking to you last year. It was over Zoom. I think we were having the chat. But similar enough question as well. It's like um, just players this year in 2023. It's a World Cup year as well. Like that's, we're not saying like who are the best players in the world right now, but who are the players that excite you most? Um, you know, in the world or in Ireland? In, no, in, in the world, yeah. In the world. Caelan Doris. Yeah. Artie Sevilla. Um, I think Karevi is very exciting. I think Gary Ringrose is very exciting. I think Finn Russell is very exciting. I think Damien Pinot and Antoine Dupont. Um, I think Lucania Am. Um, I think Carreras, the Argentinian, plays with oh, yeah. Astros, an exciting oh, player yeah. who probably doesn't get yeah. you know, the headlines that those other players would get, but there's Snappy Eight. Yeah, that'll do you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for having me. Nice good man. Cheers. Cheers. 
Right, awesome chat there between Pat and Brian, and he's mentioning some of the exciting players around the world that he likes watching. Do you have anyone that comes to mind? Anton Dupont. Dupont. Yeah, of course. Furlong this weekend if he's back. As an exciting player. Yeah. Fair what, what do you do? You disagree? <laughs> no, I just I, I wouldn't say he's exciting. Wouldn't be my word. No, I'm excited for him. Maybe that's kind of just when as we were listening to that there. Just that's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. So I'm excited to see him back. Fair enough. My Give one is um, Finn Russell. Nice. Yeah, I know it's an obvious choice, but I just think every time he gets the ball, you're like, oh my god, or Capuzzo. Um, I like him as well. Yeah, yeah, he's a good one as well. All right, so we have to delve in to the established career of Anna Capeless. You've been all over the place. Cork, mm. then you played for Munster, then Richmond, then uh, Harlequins. you played for Ireland. You've done it all. Mm. Um, so we want uh, your old teammate, Lindsay, to introduce you and ask you some of the questions. Um, yes, long-standing friend, teammate. Her lust for life, her energy, his enthusiasm is matched by that of her love, energy and enthusiasm for the game of rugby. Um, congratulations on a fantastic career and welcome to the House of Rugby where we are going to say this is your life, Anna <laughs> Capus. Um, where do we start? What is your, what's your most outstanding memory, rugby memory? God, you could have given me a bit of homework beforehand to kind of research this. That's hard. There's a lot. Are we talking Ireland? Just your most, your most memorable where you're at your happiest. Um, some moments in the dressing room with Ireland, either kind of beforehand or afterwards, not to take away from playing, but playing is such high pressure. And I think for our era, we were kind of under a lot of pressure. The kind of the, the, the last couple of years playing, playing with Ireland, um, you were you kind of I, I came into the squad a little bit after you. I, I never had many kind of massive mar- uh, wins mm. in an Irish shirt. Some good wins and some great days out, but um, f- we were under a lot of pressure kind of th- the 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 last few years. So, think the some moments in the dressing room. Like, do you remember after England above in Coventry? Actually, sorry, it was beforehand and there was some music going on. Like, I love a bit of music in the dressing room. Yeah, we were dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and that's not always everyone's cup of tea, but just like felt like such a great energy. Can't remember the year. I would say 2018. Um, yeah, it was Paddy's it, Weekend and I remember. Paddy's Weekend above in Coventry. We had a great performance that day, even yeah, though we lost. Yes, yeah, yeah. We played really well, but just... I remember looking around, you know, sometimes you kind of have this like out of body kind of experience in, 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 in a dressing room where you're just kind of looking around and you take it all in. That was a day for me. And I don't know why or what song was on or I just said like, lads, this is the best feeling in the world. And we were like, yeah, like all bouncing around and dancing and kind of hugging each other and um, played really well then. And we, we didn't win. It's funny, like that's kind of what I'm referring to there now. Like we'd, like oh we we had a great game that day but we would have I never got to beat England do you know no but actually it probably leads me nice into my next question if Greg doesn't mind I'll, I'll pass it over is you were involved and as was I very many historic moments and milestones within the overall game of women's rugby like we had the big 14 game against Quinns and extra the weekend and myself and yourself were involved in the big game 12 when Harlequins and Leinster had an historic 
Day Out in Twickenham, which was one of my favourite games of rugby. Now, I mean everything, the build-up, how we were treated, um, the game itself. I got to play six and I was let loose and it was, you know, probably one of my best performances. You scratched me in the eyeball that day. I took off. off. <laughs> I took off. I tackled her. She put her finger in my eye. And I was looking at no, her. Th- oh, yeah, no, I did. It's like, remember, you were saying, why actually come in this before the game? Yeah, I did. I hand you off in midfield. I remember that. But, and I Rachel still Burford. Tackle, by the way. Rachel Burford gave out to me. She goes, watch the face, mate. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Did you what, put your f- fingers right into well, my I'm eye. I'm sorry about that. I'm glad you got over it. Anyway, my question is. I suppose that's the epitome really as what we see. We've been involved in major milestones, but what is the biggest challenge for women's rugby and is it exhausting for the fight that you keep up taking all the time or where do you see the women's game going? Like, is Are you going to stay in that fight after your career? I think that's the one thing that kind of I was able to find comfort in from retiring and calling it a day with Ireland as a player and a lot of people said it to me and I and it was the one thing I was able to kind of say to myself was like, right, I know that I'm in this for the long run. So what, I, what I've learned as a player and um, you're absolutely right, the women's game is in this huge period of transition where things seem to be progressing so much, but sometimes you feel like you're going backwards and um, it's been an interesting time to be like an advocate for it and as a player and like now coming into a coach or coming into management and actually... That's why I went to the Women's World Cup. Like, we obviously, you know, very heartbreakingly did not qualify for um, the last year's World Cup. And we all kind of, we stopped talking about it. We were so hurt and we were, um, we couldn't believe it that we weren't going to be playing in this World Cup. And for me, I had already, I didn't, I didn't get to play the qualifiers, which was very, like I sat at home on the couch watching it, which was like a very significant moment for me and very, very, like one of the lowest moments of my career, actually, I think, is watching that on on the television. And we all kind of tried to move on and forget that it was on. But personally, for me, it was like women's rugby is so important to me and how it's going to grow forward. That's so important to me because I've given so much of it so far, of my life to it so far, that I just, I know too much about it now. I can't just give that up. So I decided just to go as as a supporter. I know so many girls and, and you you as well. Like we both played Barbarians and from playing in the Premiership, like a lot of girls from around the world play there. I know a lot of the England girls, knew a lot of players in that final, knew loads of girls playing in the World Cup. So I was like, you know what? I want to go actually and be there and see what it's like to where we're at, see where the women's game is at. And it was, it was, it was brilliant and, it, do you know what's so cool about it was that it was like being in a bubble where everyone loved women's rugby and it wasn't like oh there's a women's game on it was like rugby do you have your tickets are you are you where are you sitting like oh my friend needs an extra ticket do you know the same kind of chat we have around the men's games same vibe same it was so brilliant and nobody challenging it nobody like ah but oh it's just women's rugby or or the women's game, or none of that didn't experience that. It was just such an amazing bubble to be in for that like couple of weeks to be there. And the rugby was outstanding. And it made me feel very hopeful because, yeah, I feel weary a lot of the time from, from constantly having to, you know, when we talk about the women's game over the last few years, instead of talking about the technical abilities of players, we're talking about the fact that, players had to get changed in a next to bins, you know, and like referring back to, you know, referring back to things like that. So, um, 
Sorry, am I answering your question or did I just go off on a big, uh, <laughs> on a big? No, I think there? we're like we're right. Like there, there is so many positives, and like let's be clear, your career has been what you started off with Munster. Uh, you played for Ireland. You played for Barbarians. You played for Gloucester, who are now probably one of the top two teams in the in the Premiership. Mm. Um, you've gone away and played in Australia. You've played for Richmond. You played with Queens. So you've played an exceptional amount of rugby. So you've had a fantastic career. But oh, I suppose yeah. knowing you and knowing a lot of the things and watching you on Twitter, like you, you always fight the good fight, you know. And um, yeah, I just wanted to see. Did you know? I suppose sadly you retired because your own. I suppose up and down of your own career you know mm. highs and lows so yeah you seem to still have the energy to fight the the good mm. fight for it do you know yeah, yeah and yeah. we're very good on this show like Greg has you know would have watched the World Cup gone on the 7 series so when you're a rugby player and, and you love it you take the game for the the baseline of what it is like you give it a chance you know mm-hmm. and it really is on this upward trajectory mm-hmm. um but I suppose where do you see what needs to so how do you think Ireland women's will do now in the up and coming six nations um they obviously announced the squad the other day very young squad very exciting to see a lot of new names in there and and um a lot of like our our old teammates and our friends in there who who are brilliant and um yeah, it'll be a challenge. And like, of course, when you look at then the the English squad that's been released, like just uh, and just the fact that they're full time players. I just want to see that start to grow. Obviously, you know, contracts have come into it now, but it's very slow start. Like a lot of players weren't able to take that up. And um, as we're going into this Six Nations, you know, you're kind of like when the gap started to open with us, we were always aiming for third third is the best you know not aiming to win a six nations because France and England were the pro teams and then we were kind of like trying our best to be professional and then going to work on a Monday morning like mm. not able to like like look over your shoulder because you're because you're just you know your body's in it, it needs to recover so much but like you don't have time for that so aiming for third um is will be will be good if they were able to get a third place like that that'll be good for them but it won't be easy um and uh and do you see the positives like obviously myself and Greg and Jason have and Pat obviously have spoken about so we had the the Celtic League which Ireland won four out of four games um so that's obviously a huge positive we came out on top a lot of players that are in that squad now got blooded through that yep so firstly keep that in mind and then we obviously spoke about a women's lines tour like, do you think, though, are, is the women's game ready for a Lions tour? And do you think that the these Celtic leagues, is this what's needed to help Irish rugby on the women's side move on quickly? And then even the Lions tour, are we ready for that? And then we'll probably... Um, a Lions tour is an interesting one because, again, you look at the, you know, the full-time players that have been able to grow into the players there in England and France and then to have, you know, someone who's like, teaching or or whatever you know as her job like going to Lions Tour is just a, a big I, yeah, I don't think that women's rugby is at a place now where Lions Tour would be a good idea we haven't got the pool of players have we yeah because really? <laughs> England do because they're paid full time and they're just full time sorry, players I mentioned France there obviously yeah. France aren't up for selection but sorry that's what, what, yeah. where my thoughts are going but yeah no, but same kind of thing like Ireland women aren't there are not enough people play pay 
professionally and mm. not playing full time to go on Alliance tours. You yeah. said they had to give her careers. Yeah. Wales only what have twelve contracts or something. She's on uh, that there still like, and they're yeah. still all over the place. I don't know what Scotland is, so I don't think women's rugby. I don't think a quick fix would let's go to the top and create a top level tournament and yeah. send them down to South Africa. I think it's it's what you are doing, Anna, and like you're at the grassroots and you're trying to promote the game from the ground up, and it's slowly starting to get there. And yeah. I think women's rugby took a massive step with the World Cup. Even people like myself who've been in the rugby world, I didn't realize how good women's rugby actually is. I I was watching the semi-finals and finals, and I was like, these girls could beat some international men's teams, like yeah. second-tier men's teams. Yeah. They are that good at rugby. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, it is there. So why aren't the Irish team there? And then I started thinking, I was like, it's actually really sad the Irish team aren't there. Because yeah. I was covering it for World Rugby. And I was like, okay, what needs to be done at home then? And then people like yourself who are fighting the fight, which is amazing. And do you feel like you are starting to get a bit of return from it? Do you feel like the RFU are listening and they're starting to do something about it? Or a lot more still needs to be done? Sometimes I feel like, yeah, and obviously the the players took a big step last year and we, you know, wrote an open letter to um, uh, to the, the IRFU, you know, stating that we, we want more from this and we're not so happy with how it's been going. And yeah, I feel like there's changes made and, and like there's an under 18 Six Nations Festival for the girls this year as well, which when I read that, I was like, oh my God, like finally, like awesome. Um, but that needs to kind of, continue like so it's not just a fact of right that's happening now so great no it's it's gotta keep moving to get to catch up to England to catch up to other teams that have like just like steamrolled ahead it's not gonna stop with just this under 18s festival or just the Celtic (laughs) Cup or Mm -hmm. just it's gotta keep rolling and yeah. yeah 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 and like consistently good as well but it's not going to just happen that this is going to work that's going to work that's going to work yes mm. this is all working brilliantly it's not going to happen that way either because we're learning about it but if we go back to talking about like the Lions tour for for a second we don't have to do everything exactly the same as the men's the way men's rugby has gone like it can be it can go we can do things a different way. And they are talking about doing the the, the Lions tour slightly different if they do. Like they would go to France and Canada and, you know, not do the same tour. Mm. But it doesn't have to be... We can write our own rules. You know, it's on the verge of professionalism now. So I hope we can do it in a style that will suit us. So what change would you like to see that you think would benefit us? Say at home, just to make it more specific for you. Well, if you were to come in and say, I want this one change, what would it be? Would you like more competitions like the Celtic Cup? Or would you like to start with underage or in the clubs? Because we're kind of at a loss. Where do we start? Where's the starting point? Yeah, Um, it's hard because there's a hundred different ways to skin a cat, obviously. So no one answer is going to be the the only answer. But what I'd I'd love to see if it was me and the powers in my hands is uh, invest in the league, the AIL. Okay. Because if we can't go all professional all in, like one of the most difficult things, and you'd probably like attest to this, Greg, as well, is when you're playing for Munster, especially if you're underage or you're in college or you're working, um, the the travel to Limerick, down to Cork, girls coming up from Kerry, Tipperary, Clonmel, wherever you're going, it's a lot of time on the road, which can be taken out of it if you go professional, but we're not going to be able to go professional straight away. So if you can localise your where you're putting in the resources, so I only have to drive 20 minutes to the gym, that's done and, and 10 minutes to the pitch and I get all my work done because I'm going to have to, any player coming in now is going to have to keep her job or keep her studies to to become the best player she can on the side and then slowly over time that's when you learn your professional contracts but like 
to, to kind of be relocated to the provinces now that's going to be really hard and a lot of investment I'd love to just see it happen in the clubs first and then kind of push forward I probably would agree I would have contracted players back to the club yeah because I think as well you well say Bowes you're an ex-Bowes Red Robin so I'd like to see working out the university so there's no excuse that the University of Limerick who have a high class gym that the the Munster lads work out of so all the facilities are there the attraction is there as a university for a young young girl so you can use the scholarships through UL you can also contract some big names to attract names to your club mm. and then the resources are there and put an overall SNC programme filtering back down to the clubs so I think everything can be centralised from the IRFU but filter down and put the, mm. the resources in the clubs and I think you're right we've said this before on the, on, on the pod there's no not every framework, whether it's sevens or men's or, or AIL clubs, whether men or women, is going to suit. You have to see what works. Um, so hopefully we'll see it down the line and be talking a lot more. And what is, just kind of wrap it up on the Irish women's scenario, what is the current situation with the women's 15s team? There are some people contracted, but at a very low amount. Uh, I think we've 30 contracts already gone in, if I'm not mistaken. I actually don't know the number at the moment. I, I'm going to say around 30. I've... I, I feel that's right but a lot of them have previously been contracted as our sevens I definitely know there's only a handful of 15s who would have been predominantly 15 players and we lost a lot through retirement um, and I can't name names because they haven't really officially announced themselves so I'm not going to but there's a lot of probably players that have been not included in, in the squad that was announced last week that wouldn't have by choice um, they just unfortunately through personal circumstances had to make those decisions for themselves because they just couldn't live on the contracts and then how do you compete for a jersey with full time professionals who are contracted you know even that, within a squad that would be my point as a as an onlooker looking in on it I'm like you, if you want the likes of the Irish women's team to compete in the Six Nations against England or France a Wales who are somewhat professionally contracted as well you need to contract a full squad of women to let them completely focus and give all their time and energy mm -hmm. to the team in order to compete it was like when we were trying to play sevens we were like how can you expect us to earn money mm -hmm. and eat and pay rent and travel up from Limerick and you want us to go against like New Zealand I was like it's just not going to work lads mm -hmm. yeah. and eventually they started listening so mm -hmm. I think the from and obviously I, I can't change anything really but I can I can give my opinion on it yeah. I think they should contract a full Irish women's team they have enough money the men's team are the best team in the world take a little money off the, off the whole budget give it to the women's team contract a full Irish women's squad and then go down to the grassroots and start putting good SNCs into clubs and good coaches into clubs and make and build it up from the ground up but you can't then send the women over to the Six Nations they get a hockey and off friends and then expect a young 16 year old girl to look at the Irish women's team who are after getting hockeyed mm. so why would she want to play with the team that's getting hockeyed do you know yeah, what I mean yeah. so you need to do it on both ends and then meet, a, meet in the middle I think but I um, think Greg you know you're saying they're like you know I can't change anything but like neither can I neither can Lindsay but these conversations that we have now and like the fact that you're you know you're sharing your thoughts like this is what we need to do is talk about it so like you know, thanks for being an ally to the women's game and like these conversations are yeah. so important and have them and ask people, what do you think? And it, even just someone listening to this now will now think about it when they're watching Six Nations next month. And, um, yeah. you know, that, that that's this is what needs to happen uh, continuously. We keep asking, we keep looking and we keep like... I think yeah. the big 14 game right at the weekend had over 15,000 at that women's club game. 
Brilliant. Uh, Exeter came out on top. Um, oh, geez, it was a big score and it was such an exciting game. Um, Gloucester would play at King's Home now and again. So the fact that, and I hate coming back to English teams. I hate it, but I have to, you have to come back to the standard bearers. And again, it's about the exposure. They're linked with a men's club now. So King's Home and Gloucester men and women, like the big 14 obviously had men and women's teams both playing in Twickenham. Um, and again, to have over 15,000 at a club game. When we played with the Barbarians, we unbeknownst for ourselves set a new record at 28,000 because the men unfortunately had to get cancelled by COVID. But we yeah, took it we, and we were now the on the stage to be the main main attraction. It was lovely. Yeah, we accidentally broke a world record that day. We were in the same car, you, me and... Um, we were in a taxi dancing and they were like, oh, do, here's the supporters and we were actually playing. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what happened that day? Yeah, you that had to get Ubers, you were called to come in early. We were like, yeah, because, uh, you know, the, the men's side, the men's got cancelled, which was very sad for them, but great for us. We're waiting in the hotel and it was taking so long, I was like... I was oh. meant to get a present from Argus for for Bar- for Christmas <laughs> and I had to send someone oh, yeah. else up because we were like, out the gap and I was like, how but, am I going to get it? I'd send Cleena Maloney actually. <laughs> the bus wasn't the bus wasn't ready, so we all had to order Ubers and uh, go to Twickenham Ubers. And I was like, "This is so cool! We'll get to play at two o'clock, so it'll be on primetime telly." It was only when I was in the taxi, I was like, "Hang on, there's already forty thousand people on the way to Twickenham here." I never it never dawned on me until we were in the car and we were saying to the the, the yeah. Uber driver like, "Turn up the music! Turn up the music!" We were like, "Do do 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 do!" Like, <laughs> and Karen, one of the Canadians. It Scott. was uh, it was brilliant. That was one. Of, that's oh, definitely one of the, the highlights. You got one of the opposition players. No, 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 no. no it's a barbarian. Oh, barbarian. Barbarian. No, she was. Yeah, no, okay. she was uh, absolutely brilliant. But like, we just had to roll with it. Like, I hadn't. E- we hadn't even had our pre-match meal. We just had the breakfast. But it was gas crack. And to be honest, you just. Uh, that's that probably you, one of my standout memories. I love yeah. that you took that in your stride, and you're so happy to tell that story. And it's a yeah. good moment for you. Like the men, if that happened them, they'd be whinging and complaining and like, oh, we can't play. You joking? Yeah. I'm going to an Uber and not eat my pre-match meal. Yeah. So I just think it just shows how much you appreciate the game and appreciate getting the supporters. Oh, yeah. the only downside for me was I got to take a conversion and I absolutely made a shit of it. <laughs> That's funny. Oh my though, god, though. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what was so cool? I was in uh, I was in La Rochelle um, a few a few months after that, and I met a man in a pub, and he was I can't remember how we got onto it. But he was like. Ah, we just talk about women's rugby. I love women's rugby. Do you know what happened last year? I went to watch the Barbarians play in Twickenham, and do you know what happened? The the men's game got cancelled, and the women played, and they were great. And I was like, go away, isn't that gas now? Um, fair play. Did you tell him? I actually, I said to him, I was like, do you remember the number eight? And he was like, yeah. I was like, that was me. And he was like, he was like, I'm so, um, I'm so upset you didn't ask me who my favourite player was on the day because I was about to say the number no eight for the Barbarians. Way. He might have been talking talking through his hoop, but, <laughs> but it was so, gas was so cool and he was telling me all about it and he was so excited and like, that was his accidentally first experience of women's rugby and he was telling this to me like, I, I love women's rugby now. So it's things like this that you, we need to like, and women's rugby has done like just take it in two hands and run with it. So yeah. we kind of bring an, enough people on, on the bandwagon with us. Yeah, we yeah. And what, we, we have to wrap up soon, but I'm loving this shadow at the women's rugby. One thing I wanted to ask for more from, from my world is the sevens. So what the women's do, you have a lot of mixture between the sevens players and the fifteens players and they're all intertwined and play all the different tournaments, the kind of same pool of players, which doesn't happen in the men's team. There's mm. a sevens team and there's a fifteens team and they don't really cross over. Um, so do you think that's the best thing to be doing is to be using all the best players in Ireland? 
and doesn't matter if they're sevens players or do you think they should be separating it completely because I know that Emily Murphy Crow, Eve Higgins and Bevin Parsons all missed out in Six Nations games mm. again so do you think that's good to separate the teams completely yeah I, I so they, they obviously released the, the Six Nations squad this um, few days ago without any sevens players named whether that changes down the line but sevens have a huge priority um, with the Olympic year with, with their Olympic qualification yeah. and everything so that's got to be priority for them but at the same time it, 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 it is difficult to manage and it's often difficult as a player to to um, to have uh, players come in that kind of have ha- maybe haven't been there because they've been away not their fault no one's fault ever but like and then they come straight back into a squad and you have to kind of go back to basics to get everyone up to the same level and that can be hard to manage and you know the players always did it so brilliantly but it's just how it was managed was was often difficult and it depends like if you need a player definitely if a sevens player is available definitely bring her in but when you kind of have a squad that's building towards something and then it kind of gets changed because the sevens players are suddenly available that can be hard to manage yeah I um, thought it was absolutely outrageous when a sevens player was came available and they just threw him into starting a 15s team I was like that would never in a million years happen in the 15s I'd keep them men's separate. game yeah yeah, you think you have to do if they're trying to play at the top level in both sports. I think personally, yeah. sevens is a completely different sport to rugby fifteens. Yeah, and the uh, girls did great the weekend yeah, in Vancouver. Great, like yeah. um, Eastman Hall crossfield kick to Bave, and like they're they're doing exceptionally. Yeah. And I think they should be given that license to have concentration now this year, yeah. regardless of being an Olympic qualifier. The only time I would see them come in is if we're building towards a World Cup. But a bit like Ruby Tui, um, one of the standout players from this year's World Cup, um, and Stacey Walker, the same thing. Just uh, that they're blooded in time, do you know, that they're now integrated at least six months before and then they give their time to 15s mm-hmm. if that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Players can't be punished for being exceptional at both, but you are absolutely right. It takes so much time to blood and transition from being a sevens to a 15. They're two totally different games. Yeah. And I don't think it's fair on the players that come in and I don't think it's fair on the players there. So I don't think players should be punished, but I think it should be separate until a certain point if you're building up to, say, a, a rugby World Cup. Yeah. Bring our sevens in who are exceptional athletes, but give them the time mm-hmm. minimum six months. Um, and I think that's fair, fair for competition, fair for them transition. Um, but I think it also then puts the onus on the programme to blood in the 15s and deepen the squad. We have fabulous athletes around the country um, and we shouldn't have to rely on players. Like there's no need for Emily to be playing like her, her load alone as an athlete has to be managed from that sense. And I'm just picking her out randomly. There's many players f- from that. So I think we've, we're a country of, we're, we're, we're blessed with the amount of athletes we have. Yeah. We just need to find them. I agree with you completely. Now, Anna, before we let you go, we just want to know what you're up to now. I believe you might have played a bit of tens rugby recently. You're oh, in yeah. Spain, yeah. living in Spain, and you have your own podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, so yeah, I played in the, the World Tens Championship in South Africa in October which was class. That was brilliant. A kind of a different world, um, kind of an American style of, of rugby academy. And it was created through these like American um, links. And uh, God, it was brilliant. And we had two weeks out in South Africa. And that was that was amazing. And I was playing with a team called the Honey Badgers, like these brand new franchises that have these like lovely new names. And we won everything. Um, it was savage. And yeah, so since then, so from there, I went to the World Cup and enjoyed myself for a little while because after a time from Ireland, I just took time out to kind of enjoy rugby. And now I've yeah moved to Spain to practice my Spanish and I'm, I'm playing coaching over there. And 
uh, eating plenty tapas and drinking <laughs> lovely wine. And um, that's, you know, a, a side of that I've been waiting to enjoy as well from after retiring from Ireland. Like, so, um, yeah. And I yeah started a podcast recently for the Six Nations and just rugby in general would like just to have the crack around it. Because actually last year, after retiring from Ireland, a lot of like media um, opportunities and I turned everything down because I just wasn't in a good place personally. Like I was... Mm quite heartbroken after deciding to step away from Ireland so just kind of gave myself time to heal and then it was actually New Year's Eve I'd got on to Tom uh, O'Mahony who's the my co-host and I was like right we spoke about this before this is my New Year's resolution just to kind of get back in the bandwagon now with all of the the things that I've been offered and wanting to do so yeah we started a podcast and it's great crack what's the podcast called it's called the Banana and Bears Rugby Pod oh brilliant nice. you can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts yes Yes, Brilliant indeed. Stuff. Yeah. So after you finish listening to House Rugby, lads, go over and listen to Anna's. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're not plugging it that much. <laughs> <laughs> We're still competitive. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and we, we'll never see you um, back over in Irish Shores playing rugby again. Sure, who knows? Honestly, I, I, I deliberately make myself very free so that any opportunities that come, why, that, that, that come my way, uh, I can take them or not. But I'm already in... Um, putting um, something in place for next season mm. I'm not finished playing yet okay watch this space watch this same space. as you Lindsay you'll never give it up alright thanks so much Anna I really appreciate it for railway <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to Bose <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay yeah. uh, I just want to give a shout out to uh, the sevens team so the women finished eighth. They put in good performances, but unfortunately didn't get uh, a win over there. And the men's team did very well. Very well. They were flying it. They absolutely smashed day one. Jordan got his hundred. Jordan hundred got a hundred tries on yes, the World boy. Series. He knew exactly where the camera was when he got Listen. it as well. Yeah. <laughs> and they ended up finishing fourth. So they lost Australia in the bronze medal match, but they played really, really well. So we're done, lads, and uh, safe home. Um, Do you miss it? I do miss it. I do miss playing at the top level, but I don't miss going out to Blanchardstown on a cold Tuesday morning. So if I'm not willing to do that, I don't deserve to be over in Vancouver playing. I know, but you still get to give your boys some love. So. I do, I do. Yeah, I, I watched them. So well done, lads. Now, it's time for a Never Stop Competing Moment of the Week. Very quickly, we're giving it to, of course, Orgy Snyman. Out for over 500 days, 17 months with a knee injury. Back from Munster, which we love to see coming into the business end of the season. Um also, South Africa will have him back for the World Cup, but we don't want to dwell on that. <laughs> All right. Well done, RJ Snyman. You're never stopping to meet moment of the week at Together Bank of Ireland. Now, and it's been absolutely delightful. Thank you so much. Best great luck with see. everything. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great to have the chats and catch up. It's so great. It has. It's been great. You're a, a fabulous person, a fabulous player. So it's great to catch up again. Lindsay, thanks so much as always. Have a great week, hon. I will do. Because we have Six Nations this weekend. So uh, we're building up into that, guys. And we'll catch you the following week um, to wrap up all the Six Nations. And hopefully Ireland have won the Grand Slam. Thanks, Bank of Ireland. Proud supporters of the four Irish provinces. And we'll catch you next time. Joe presents House of Rugby. Together with Bank of Ireland. Proud supporter of the four Irish provinces.